What a blessing to get to hear out of the mouths of small children praise to our Lord and being reminded of those wonderful Christmas truths. If you have a Bible or want to grab the one in front of you, please open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, we're continuing our series uh, for Christmas called The Gift of the Incarnate Son. And our goal kind of has been to mainly pick a, a verse that speaks about the, the reason for Christ's coming uh, and to just mainly camp out on that, present to you a, a simple, clear, straightforward uh, reason for the coming of Christ and thus uh, help us to remember and know the significance of, of Christmas. And so we're going to read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll begin in verse 1. We'll read to verse 15. But verse 9 is the text that we're going to spend our time thinking about and, and reflecting on this morning. So once again, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. The Word of God reads, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. And here's the verse that we're, we're going to be spending our time on this morning. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what the person has not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you humbled, thankful, Lord, for another day, 
that you've given us life. And another Lord's Day to come and to sing your praises and celebrate together the gift of your son. Lord, we worship you with hearts made glad because of this generous gift. And Lord, we ask for your help by your spirit that you would give us insight to understand your word, that we would be moved, Lord, to a, a deeper gratitude, both for the riches of Christ and also his poverty, which he endured for us. Lord, may every soul here be enriched as it is instructed again in the grace and love that is in Christ. And may they grow in their appreciation for you, Lord, and the gift of your Son. May they better understand, O oh Lord, the, the significance and value of that gift, and thus the significance and value of Christmas. We pray in Jesus' rich and generous name. Amen. Uh, very soon, or maybe some of you have already begun, but very soon for most of you, you're going to be giving gifts and receiving gifts. Uh, you're, there's going to be gifts of all kinds and all different sizes. Some of you are going to receive small gifts. Some of you are going to receive big gifts. Uh, some of you are going to receive gifts that are, you know, not so large in value. Uh, and, and others of you are going to receive gifts of, of, of large value. Uh, whether you receive some reindeer Christmas family matching onesie for $12.99 from Walmart, or a brand new mongoose bike from Target for $250, or an Xbox Series X uh, for $500, or one carat total weight diamond stud earrings, the 14 carat gold setting for $1,800, or whether you receive a 2023 Model S Tesla for $109,000, you're going to receive something. And if you don't receive anything, the point of this sermon is that you can still be grateful because you have that which is of most value and of most importance. You see, Christmas isn't about reindeer jammies or Teslas, but about a gift of immeasurably greater value that is a token of the love of God for us. And what's so great about this gift is that it's a gift for all of us. Maybe only one person in here is getting the Tesla, or maybe none. But the gift that our Father gives us in His Son is a gift for all who are willing to receive it. It's a free gift. It's a gift not just for the, for the rich. Uh, it's a gift for the rich, and it's a gift for the poor. It's a gift that all can enjoy, and it's a gift that all need. You see, when God wanted to show his love for the world, he gave his only begotten son. When God wanted to give and show his generosity and show his, the genuineness of his love for us, he gave us that which was most valuable, that which was most precious. He gave us his son. He gave us a child. He gave us that baby born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. He gave us the child foretold in the Hebrew scriptures for hundreds and even thousands of years. He would be the one who would come and make the world right. He would be the one who would come 
and pay for our sins. He would be the one who would come and make our forgiveness possible. He would be the one who would come and conquer all of our enemies. He would be the one who would come and give us new life and give us eternal life and give us even the hope of resurrection life. He would be the one who would fix all the world's problems. He would be the savior of Israel and he'd be the savior of the nations. He is the prince of peace and he is Lord of lords and he is king of kings. This is the one that was promised and this is the one that God gave. And there is nothing and no one more important or valuable than him. And he has been given to us. And that's what Christmas is about. You see, God would not just fix the world and fix our rebellion and fix our sinful hearts and fix the the corruption and fix the pain and fix the injustices of the world through just the snapping of his fingers. No, he would send his son through the incarnation, through his life, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, through his ascension, through his return, through his judgment, through his eternal reign. This is how things get fixed. This is why Christians have hope. Not because we're great, not because we've done anything, but because God has decided to be and show his grace and love in giving us his son. And so with his, the gift of his son, All who receive the gift of the Son have received God's most generous and gracious and most valuable gift. And everyone who has received the Son then has become rich in all the ways that are most important and most valuable. The good news this morning is that if you've forgotten it, you're going to be reminded of that very truth. Jesus Christ came to make you rich. Some of you squirm at that. Some of you squirm at that for a good reason, and we'll get into. But the good news is that if you're here and you have not believed in Jesus yet, you too can leave this morning rich because of Christ and rich because of Christmas the main idea of our, our sermon is, is in, the, in the bulletin notes for you. We see how rich is the gift of the incarnate Son so that we will be deeply grateful and richly generous to others. Once again, the main idea is that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, we see how rich the gift of the incarnate Son is so that we will be deeply grateful and richly generous to others. I have four points that will help us to, to see that this morning. And usually I, I leave a blank and a fill-in, and I make you work for the points a little bit. But since I'm in a generous mood, I gave them all to you up front for free. Nothing to fill out. You just get to enjoy the gift. First will be Christ's riches. Second, we will look at our, our poverty. Third, we will look at Christ's poverty. And then fourth, we will look at our riches. And so if we're going to understand how rich the gift of the incarnate son is so that we will be deeply grateful and richly generous to others, we need to understand first and foremost Christ's riches. Listen to what Paul says in this verse. He says to the Corinthians, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. 
so that you, by his poverty, must become rich. None of us is going to understand how great a gift, how valuable, how precious the gift of the incarnate son is if we do not realize first his riches. What does Paul mean when he says that Christ was rich? In our context, it's we have Paul discussing, as you noticed from, from a, just from the reading, we have Paul addressing the Corinthians and encouraging them to be a, a financially generous people. And so there's themes of financial uh, generosity being talked about in this chapter. So is it Christ being rich? Is it his financial prosperity that Paul is, is talking about here? I, I, I don't think it is. And we'll get into that a little, in, in a little bit more in a few minutes. But the rich that Paul is talking about is a richness that, and a wealth that Christ enjoyed, I believe, in his, incarnate, his pre-incarnate state. Before, in other words, before he became a man, the fact that he was God the Son, dwelling with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, Three persons, one God, having absolutely no need, being eternal God, being unchangeable, being all-powerful, being all-wise, being all-knowing, all of the things that God is. The, the riches of Christ are not material possessions of Christ, but it's who Christ is. The riches of God is God himself. And the blessing of knowing God and enjoying a relationship with him. And the son enjoyed a relationship with the father before he ever uh, took on human flesh. The scriptures are clear about this. Je Jesus says in a prayer in John 17, he says, Father, glorify me. And John 17, by the way, Jesus has become flesh. It's near the end of his life and ministry. And he's praying to God the Father. And he says, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What is he talking about? He's talking about being the only begotten of the Son sitting on the Father's throne and having the outward manifestation and radiance of the glory of God, so that all the rest in heaven would bow in worship and praise and adoration for who Christ is. This is the riches of Christ. Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 2. He says of the Son that though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. How so? Taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When Paul speaks here of being in the form of God, the word form there speaks of an outward manifestation. And so it, the son enjoyed, as Hebrews calls the son, the radiance of the glory of God. The son enjoyed glory that marked him off as the unique son. 
that he enjoyed as a gift from the Father for all eternity. And together the Father and the Son and the Spirit owned everything, created everything, uphold everything, sustain everything. All material things, all the gold, all the cattle on a thousand hills were all belonging to God, to the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And this, was, this is the Son's wealth or riches before he entered into a state of poverty in his incarnation. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, just to give one more glimpse of this, we know that this is 700, 6 to 700 years before the time of Christ, and Isaiah sees a vision. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And you know what the Apostle John tells us in John chapter 12? He tells us that Isaiah saw, Isaiah spoke because he saw his, speaking of Christ's glory, and spoke of him. Who was that one on the throne? Who was that one radiating with glory? It was the son before he had become incarnate, getting a vision, as Isaiah did, of, of him. You could jump over to Ezekiel chapter 1 and, 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 and see some uh, similar things. As Ezekiel, it says in verse 1, uh, the heavens were open. He saw visions of God, and he was just amazed by what he saw. And, and, and so he, he sees this, this storming wind and a great cloud and brightness and fire flashing forth. In the midst of this fire, there's gleaming metal and living creatures, uh, and their appearance is like burning coals of fire. And, and then within them, there's these flash of these appearances of flash, flashes of lightning. And a, and a wheel and rims. And so these creature in these wheels, this crazy vision that he's seeing is, is looking like a chariot. And then there's something above that. And he looks up even higher above that amazing sight. And there's an expanse over their heads. And then there was a likeness of a throne. And on the throne, it says that the likeness of the throne in appearance like sapphire and seated above the likeness of the throne. So this is on top of the throne was the likeness with a human appearance. Verse 24 says, And upward from what had uh, the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire and there was brightness all around him. And like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. What a scene. And he heard a voice speaking to him. And he was commissioned, I believe, by the pre-incarnate son who was radiating the glory of God. This is the riches of Christ. Bright, brilliant, all honor, all glory, all power due to him. You see, if you don't understand the riches of Christ and his pre-incarnate glory, you're not going to appreciate his poverty. 
And you're not going to appreciate and value the person that you are truly receiving. You will not value the gift that the Father is giving you if you do not understand who this, who this is. This is the King of heaven. And you also will not realize the grand mistake that you're making by rejecting him if you do not understand who this King is. How rich is the gift of the incarnate Son? It's a gift that is as rich as the son is himself. So whatever value you put on that one that was just described in the scripture, that's the value of the gift given to us in Christ at Christmas. Let's move to our next point, and that's our poverty. If we're going to understand how rich the gift of the incarnate son, we need to secondly understand our poverty. Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Paul does not say in this verse, you are poor. <laughs> he does not say that straight up. But it's implied in two, two different ways. One is that, are those beautiful and humbling words for your sake. Let's read it again. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. For your sake is, is showing us that we were in need. He did this for us. We were the ones who were poor. And then it's also implied in the fact that so that by his poverty you might become rich. If you were rich already... What need do you have for Christ? If you were doing just fine without him, how rich of a gift is Christ? But if you were in desperate need, if you were spiritually impoverished to the point of spiritual destitute, then you begin to realize and better appreciate the gift of Christ. So we were poor, all of us impoverished. And obviously, I'm speaking here uh, 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 spiritually. Uh, there's, there's some people that think the rich and the poor stuff is, is, is all, you know, uh, material in this, in this text. But one of the reasons that, that we can know that when Paul is speaking here about our poverty, that he's not speaking primarily about financial terms, that he has in mind spiritual poverty, uh, it is, is the fact that Paul elsewhere talks to the Corinthians as if they are somewhat wealthy. And especially in comparison with the Macedonians. If you look in, uh, back at verse 2, it says, The churches of Macedonia, in a severe test of affliction, uh, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed with a wealth of generosity. And then down a little bit later, when he's talking about the Corinthians, he says they have an abundance. So the Macedonians are poor. And the Corinthians have an abundance. But both of them, spiritually speaking, are poor. And that's true of them, and that's true of all of us. And that's what Paul is speaking about in regards to this text, is our spiritual poverty. And if we're going to understand how rich the gift of the incarnate Son is, we have to realize that apart from Christ, we have no hope of living. 
we have no spiritual sustenance. We have no living bread to eat. We have no living water to drink. We are dead. We are poor. We are impoverished. We are as needy as we could possibly get. It's important for us to understand. We have been, because of our sin, reduced to spiritually beggar status where we cannot even get a single piece of bread to sustain us and give us life on the basis of our own merits, on the basis of our own good works, on the basis of our righteousness. You see, in the economy of God, righteousness, God has an illegal economy, and because we have all sinned, none of us have righteousness. We've blown it. One sin ruins the whole thing. One sin, and we're not righteous anymore. This is our spiritual poverty. One sin, and we know we've committed not just one sin, but hundreds of sins, thousands, millions of sins. But even one sin would make us unrighteous and would condemn us before a holy God. Just one sin makes a person a lawbreaker. One sin ruins the, the righteous standing and brings a person under, under condemnation. If the Lord should call us to account for all of our sins, we would be condemned because we're guilty. And trying harder to do better in the future would not matter at all because of the massive guilt we've already accrued for ourselves. We are impoverished. We are spiritually empty. We are desperate. This is our spiritual poverty. We're disobedient. We're unholy. We're ungrateful. We're obstinate. We're guilty. We're fallen. We're sinful. We are in a state that we cannot help ourselves get out of. And apart from Christ, we are in a state that's leading straight to hell for eternity. Do you see how impoverished our state is? That's not true of just, just you. It's true of all of us. From Adam onward, every person born, this is true of us. And so we need to understand this. And I think that, that some are, are, are in their pride. They're too prideful to acknowledge that. And they're too scared of the repercussions and the implications of acknowledging their spiritual poverty. So they just act like everything's great, and they ignore their own sin, and they ignore their sinful problems. And they, they, just, think, they just think to themselves, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be fine. What poverty? What are you talking about? I'm doing just good. I'm a good person. See how we justify it? So in our pride, we do everything to suppress the truth of our spiritual poverty and ignore it. But friends... If you're naked and somebody else points that out to you, closing your eyes isn't going to fix the problem. You need to be clothed. You need to put some clothes on. <laughs> you need to find somebody. You need to go ask somebody. So you need to get somebody to give you some clothes. That's exactly what Christ does for us. Apart from those who suppress this truth and unrighteousness about their spiritual poverty, on the other hand, you could think that those who are willing to admit it and acknowledge it, that I'm not a good person because I do and have done evil things, and that person can begin to think that there's no hope for me before a holy and a righteous God. 
that there's no hope. I've done too much wrong. There's no way that I could be saved. And so it leads to, to despair. The good news for this person is that it doesn't depend on them. It does not depend on your merit. It does not depend on what you have done. This is the grace of God. You are impoverished, and you see it, and that should cause you to run to God for grace and mercy and ask for him to provide righteousness for you. So all of us are poor. We deserve death. We cannot fix our own problem. We're all totally relying and depending on the grace and generosity of God. We have nothing in the bank account. We have a giant debt of sin, and you could try to get a job and get a better job. You're never going to climb the ladder high enough to make enough to, to pay your debt. You need someone else who is perfectly righteous to come and to lay down their life and die in your place, take the punishment for your sins, pay for your sins so that you can go free. And there's only one person who's ever had that sort of righteousness, and that's Christ. And so we must understand our poverty if we're going to appreciate how generous and great the gift of the incarnate Son is. This then leads then to Christ's poverty. Paul says again that for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty you might become rich. Paul makes mention here of Christ's poverty in two different ways. He says that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. And then he also says, so that by his poverty you might become rich. So if we're going to understand how rich the gift of the incarnate son is, we have to know about Christ's poverty. When we set the riches of Christ next to the poverty of Christ, we more fully appreciate the magnitude of the humility and generosity and love that Christ has shown by becoming poor. You see, uh, if I tell you, the Jacksonville Jaguars beat the Cowboys today. I'll give you all the money in my wallet. You may at first think, man, that's, that's generous, right? But then on second thought, you may think, what if he has nothing in his wallet, <laughs> right? And then you may think, well, that's not, you know, like that doesn't show a lot. But say I did have 10 Gs in there uh, and, and, and say that they did lose uh, and say that I did give it to you. You think, man, he, he could have just said like five bucks or 10 bucks or 100. You did the whole thing. Friends, Christ did the whole thing. He didn't just send an angel to do it. He didn't send another human being to do it. He came himself and he emptied everything and he gave everything and he gave his life. What a gift. When Christ's poverty is spoken of here, speaking of his willingness to forego the outward of his divine manifestation in his pre-incarnate glory to come to be covered in human flesh to live a humble obedient life of sufferings and trials and hatred and rejection and mocking and shame and betrayal ultimately all of it culminating in his offering of his life as a sinless atoning sacrifice on a cross on a tree to bear the curse for you and me 
What great love. What a great gift. What a generous gift. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was born and he lived a perfect life and never sinned so that he could bear your sin in him on the tree. If he ascended any point up until then, he could not do that for you. But he was perfectly righteous. And all your unrighteousness, and all my unrighteousness, and all my sin, and all your sin, and all your lies, and your deceit, and your selfishness, and your rebellion, and the things that you are most ashamed of that you have done in your life, the text is saying Christ lived the perfect life, then took that from you upon him and paid for it. That's, that's incredible. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, if being rich described all the untold blessings and honors that were due to Christ as the pre-incarnate, only begotten son, forever dwelling as king of heaven, then being poor describes his incarnate life from birth to manger to death to crucifixion and enduring of God's wrath all for our sakes, all for our sakes. Christ became poor. It's true that Christ's poverty, even, even at a human level, was seen in his life. But the poverty that, that Jesus experienced in his life comparatively with the, what we might consider the wealth of the first century, yes, he's on the poorer end, but still the, the, the poverty from going from God to, to man, to dwelling with sinful men, to, to suffering and dealing with all that he dealt with as a man, to being accused and rejected and attacked and undermined, all of this is part of his poverty. But I do want to make mention that when Mary and Joseph came in Luke chapter 2 to make an offering after Jesus had been circumcised, they offered two pigeons or a pair of turtle doves. According to Leviticus 12, the offering that the woman was to make after she had had a child was to be a lamb. But if she could not afford the lamb, she could make the offering with two pigeons. And so... If she were wealthy, no doubt she would have offered a lamb. So this gives us a little bit of an idea into the economic status of Jesus' mother and her husband and their family. In regards to Jesus' ministry, we know that he was dependent upon the giving of others. Even uh, we, we have mention of uh, a number of, of women who had given to him who, are, who, who seemed to have wealth. Uh, we know that Jesus didn't walk around gold chains. Right? He wasn't flexing ice. He didn't have diamonds on his teeth. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> they weren't pulling out things to test it and see if it was real. No, he didn't flex any, any, any sort of major wealth where he went. He didn't ride on chariots. He didn't show up on a horse-drawn carriage. He walked, right? He walked in sandals to the next spot where he preached. <laughs> this was our Lord. And yes, on occasion, people came with generous gifts to him. We know the wise men came and offered him gold. That's nice. 
right? We know that they offered in frankincense and myrrh, which some of you guys are like, what, does that have any value? Yeah, that has a lot of value as, as well in the first century context. Very, very expensive spices. Uh, and then we also know that Mary at, at, uh, anointed Jesus for his burial, pouring out a very costly perfume on him. So instead of selling it and giving him the money for his ministry, she says that I'm going to bless and show the extravagance of my love to him through this generous gift, and she pours it all out on him. A year's wages worth of ointment. And we also know about Nicodemus who comes, uh, and, and after the death of Christ, Nicodemus comes and honors the body of Christ for, in, in the burial process, and he comes with a, a gift uh, that I believe it says that he brought something like 95 pounds of, of, of aloes and different spices to anoint Jesus' body for burial. And if you were to add up what that, what that was worth, that was something like 100 years' wages of the average worker's wage. So Jesus was, was, was poor, but he was, he was lavished with gifts at the, at the same time. It's, 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 it's so interesting. But he did not show up. He did not, you know, walk on gold roads. No, he, he, he walked on dirty, dusty roads that other sinners had walked on. And so he came and he experienced poverty. He experienced it in many forms. He experienced it in his humility. He experienced it most in becoming man. But he also experienced it when he died and bo- took our sin. He experienced it when he was stripped of his reputation, when he was called a blasphemer, when he was condemned unjustly, when he was stripped of his only last piece of clothing and, hell- and hung naked on the cross with nothing to his name, nothing of worldly or material significance. And yet at the same exact moment, he owned everything. Yes, Christ is rich. Yes, Christ became poor. This is the poverty of Christ. How rich is that gift? Christ took a, a, you know, a quantum leap, right? Quantum leap, as uh, one, one song that I like puts it. A quantum leap from heaven to earth. He took a quantum condescension to meet us in our poverty and to make us rich through his poverty. This leads to our last point, and that's our riches. If you're going to understand how rich the gift of the incarnate Son is, you cannot do so without bearing in mind this glorious reality, and that's the reality of our riches. Paul says, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And everything in this passage has been leading up to this moment. And so if you walk out of here and you miss this, you've missed everything. And not only have you missed everything in this sermon, you've missed everything in life. Because this is the offer that all of us have before us. In Christ, you can be rich. Spiritually speaking, we're not talking about if you believe in Jesus, a million-dollar check, you know, is going to show up in your mailbox. No. What we're talking about is spiritual riches, those things that are of greatest importance. You being able to enjoy unhindered, perfect fellowship with God. 
you having all the blessings that God has provided for us through his son. This is what Paul is speaking about. And this is what Christ provides for us. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the riches Paul is talking about. How do you know that? How, how do you know it's not financial? Because I don't know, Jeff, it seems fine, like it could be financial. It seems like if you just believe in Jesus, you're going to be a millionaire. Well, you know, or, or, or billionaire. How many of us are those? Who were the Macedonians those? So they were in extreme poverty. We're, 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 we're the, you realize Paul's taking a collection for poor Jewish saints in Jerusalem. <laughs> if Christ came to make us financially rich, then he failed the little poor Jew, you know, believers, uh, Jewish believers in Jerusalem, and he failed the Gentile believers in Macedonia, and he failed a whole bunch of people, the majority of Christians who have ever lived, who have been near the bottom. No, he did not come to do that he came to make us spiritually rich and so he did through his poverty through his his incarnation through his work through his life through his death on the cross he made us rich he unleashed on us who will believe in him and trust in him all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places Look at how Paul talks about these riches in Romans chapter 10. One of the things he says is uh, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then he goes on and he says that there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, hear this, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. So, so, so what I'm saying to you, what Paul is saying, what, the reason Jesus came was whether you're rich, whether you're poor, all of us are spiritually impoverished, and all of us, whoever of us is willing to call upon the name of the Lord by faith, then we will experience God the Father bestowing the riches of Christ and salvation upon us and justification and union with Christ and a new relationship and forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You get all of it. You get to become sons, and you get to become saints, and you get to become living stones in the temple of God, as we've been studying in Ephesians 2. You, you get it all. And Paul would even say in, in Romans chapter 8, how will he who, you know, or, or sorry, let me put it this way, uh, how, the one who gave us his son, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You see, people are, chasing after the material, but they're going to die and stand before the Lord. And if they have not believed in Christ, they have not received the spiritual blessings of Christ, they're not going to make it. They're going to say, God's going to say, Christ's going to say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. But if by faith you lay hold of Christ and receive the gift of the incarnate Son, then you are declared righteous. You are given a status of no condemnation. There is, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. God has justified you. No one can condemn you. you. You will never be separated 
from the Lord. You'll be welcomed in. You'll be blessed. You'll be clothed. You'll enjoy the righteousness of Christ covering you like a perfect robe for all eternity. These are the riches that God bestows on all who call upon him. So friend, if you're here, if you're listening online, and you have not called upon the Lord Jesus Christ, call upon him. By faith, put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will bestow the riches of salvation upon you. You will, spiritually speaking, have absolutely no lack. Those things which are of greatest importance, you can consider yourself filthy rich. He bestows it on all who call upon him. So Paul is teaching here about spiritual riches of salvation, not financial. And we know that. One other example I'll just point to you is Revelation chapter 2, verse 9. Jesus says that uh, in a letter uh, that he wants sent to the church in Smyrna, he tells them uh, to say to them, I, uh, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. So, so Jesus, is who, who sees all and knows all and is risen and exalted, wants this little church of Smyrna to know, look, I see you. I see the suffering you're enduring. I see the tribulation and the persecution. I see the poverty, the financial poverty that you are under, but you are rich. If Jesus is talking about financial poverty in both of those, then that doesn't make any sense. You're financially poor, but you're financially rich. No, he's not talking about that. What he's saying is, though you're financially poor, you're spiritually rich. Isn't that good news for a, for a poor believer? Isn't that good news for a financially poor person? You see, this is where the prosperity gospel preachers get it wrong. They think that, they think that you know, uh, uh, that spiritual maturity, they think that, that spiritual, uh, they think that spiritual Maturity is, 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 some, is somehow indicated by, uh, by, by material prosperity. That's not what Jesus is talking about. It could be the case, let me say that clearly, it could be the case that you are, uh, that, that a spiritually poor person um, is also financially poor and that their financial poverty that they have found themselves in is a symptom or is due to their spiritual poverty. Those things can't have a, they can have a connection, but to say that, that that's a, a, a direct line and that's always the case and to make a rule out of it, doesn't work. Doesn't work with Job. Doesn't work with the Macedonians who are poor, yet they're spiritually rich. Doesn't work with Smyrna who are financially poor but are rich. Isn't it good news? That you can be financially poor and yet be spiritually rich. And it's also good news that you can be financially rich and spiritually rich too. And it's not like, oh, you know, if you have a bunch of money, we just take you, chop you up, you know, divide you, uh, and, and there's no hope for you. <laughs> no, there's hope for the rich and the poor alike. God bestows his spiritual riches on all who call upon him. And the way that, that those riches are bestowed on them is through the cross. Through the cross of Christ, we become alive and rich. And we have, spiritually speaking, all we need and more in abundance. There is no lack. 
I want to just read this quote from Spurgeon. He says, see now the Lord of life and glory has bestowed uh, his head. He's talking about at his death, that he has bowed his head in death. He has yielded up the ghost. His poverty has reached its climax, for he is stripped of life itself. Yet therein is the greatest cause of joy for all believers. For we died in him, and sin died in him. And, and for us, death died in him. So our greatest riches spring from his deepest poverty. We find eternal life in his death, a heaven in his cross. We ascend to glory through his grave. And Spurgeon says, I want you, dear friends, to keep this thought vividly and constantly before your minds, that it is Christ's poverty that makes you rich. You must look on everything that relates to the Lord and yourself by way of contrast. Just as far as Jesus goes down, you go up. Just as much as he is emptied, you are filled. Just as much as he is condemned, you are justified. As surely as he died, so surely do you live beyond the fear of death. Here is a deep mine of unspeakably rich treasure for you. Dig in it as much as you can, for you will never exhaust it. Isn't that an amazing quote? That's our riches, church. That's our riches. So what? We've looked at Christ's riches. We've looked at our poverty. We've looked at uh, Christ's poverty. And we've looked at our riches. What's, what, what's the point of all this? What difference should, should this make in, in our lives? So I want to just give you two simple points of specific application. I mentioned them at the beginning. But we are to see how rich a gift the incarnate Son is so that we will be deeply grateful and richly generous to others. So I hope that you've been moved to praise. I hope that you've been moved to gratitude. I hope that you will lift your voices and sing praise to him because of a, what a wonderful gift that you have received. Because you now better understand the value of this gift, that you, you want to sing, that you have joy coming up in your heart over what has been given to you all by a free gift apart from any works, and that you will be thankful from your heart, and that that thanksgiving will lead you to a life of contentment that will protect you from covetousness of material things when, when others prosper around you. You can be fully confident that my identity is not in the material possessions I have, but in the God who I get to know and love and the blessings he has given us. So be deeply grateful. But also I want to mention here that this should lead us to be richly generous as well. It should lead us to be richly generous as well. Uh, and I say that in, in, in two regards. First, materially. You see, when, when you've been blessed spiritually, when you've received the ri spiritual riches, it frees you to not have a love of the world, and it frees you to see the possessions that you have as, as, as the temporal things that they are and to not let your heart get attached to them and to show crazy generousness to others in giving of your material belongings. How do you be richly generous materially? You give to others materially. That may mean give money. That may mean give time, give something of worth, give something of value to others, but be generous with it. I want you to know that this, this generosity materially is not a rich person thing, and it's not a poor person thing. 
It's a Christian thing. Because it's a those who have received the indescribable, invaluable gift of the Son of God thing. That I could be richly generous materially. Because I've received so much. Because I've been given so much. I want to give a lot. So give a lot. Find those who are in need. And give. When I say be, 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 you know, materially generous and Christmas is in, in, in a week, you know, uh, uh, not talking about spending, you know, just a, a bunch of money on stuff that people don't need. But be richly generous and give, look for somebody who's in need. Look for a, a, a brother or sister in Christ. Look for somebody who, whose life would be lightened, their burden would be lifted if you were to give to them and go and give to them. We should be the most materially generous people. It's not a rich person thing. It's not a poor person thing. You might think, well, the rich people have more money to give, right? Uh, But the widow that Jesus commends, did she have a lot to give? Proportionally speaking, she did. Jesus says that she gave more than all the rest of the rich who were pouring their money into the offerings because they gave out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. Being a generous person, materially speaking, is not a rich person thing. It's for the rich and it's for the poor. It's for all those who have enjoyed the rich gift of Christ. And then secondly, I just want to say as a direct point of application here, is be richly generous spiritually. So be richly generous materially with your time, with your talent, with your treasure, with your money, with whatever value that that you can give to others who are in need. Do that. But then secondly, be richly generous spiritually. And again, this isn't a either or. Hey, I'm going to be materially rich, so I don't have to, you know, materially generous, so I don't have to be spiritually generous. Or hey, I'm going to be spiritually generous, so I don't have to be materially, materially generous. Don't compare yourself with anyone else, just you and the Lord. Before you and the Lord, say, Lord, help me to to show my love for you and others for the gift that you've given me by being as possible, as much as I can be, materially generous and spiritually generous to those around me. What do you mean by spiritually generous? I mean what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 when he says that he was... uh, he talks about different things that he was suffering and different paradoxes of ministry. He says that as, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And then he says, as poor, yet making many rich, as have not, having nothing, yet possessing everything. Paul says that he was poor, yet making many people rich. How does a poor person make people rich? Well, a financially poor person cannot make people financially rich, but a, a financially poor person can make people spiritually rich. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about. How, so how did he do that? By preaching Christ. How do you be spiritually generous to those around you? You find the people who don't know of Christ. You find the people who have very little of Christ. And you run to them, and you see them in their poverty and their need, and you preach Christ to them. You preach Christ to them. Without Christ, they have no bread, they have no water, they have no eternal life. So you preach Christ. So you, you write a letter, you tweet, you, you, you 
call somebody, you, you, you run into somebody, you give a track, you do whatever God puts on your heart, but just do it. Be generous spiritually. You do not have to be financially rich to, to make others spiritually rich. And that's wonderful news for us. Paul saw his ministry as a ministry of making people rich as he preached the riches of Christ to them. And so as for however many received that message and received Christ, they found that they had been enriched with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So this is the example of Christ and of Paul that we want to follow and that I exhort us to in light of the great gift that we have received. May we be generously, richly generous, materially and spiritually, especially this week. Father, we thank you so much. Please bless your people, strengthen them, guide them, lead them, Lord. Help them to be full of joy over what they've been given. All is a gift. And may they praise you, Lord, and may they tell others about you, and may they serve you and show the same grace and generous love to others that they have been shown by you in the gift of your son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.